Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from her home in Ohio, is my new friend Mika Reed. Welcome to the podcast, Mika. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Mika is um, a new convert to the church and also an author with a book that's coming out in November. Um, it's available right now if you listen to the podcast really close to release date as a pre-order, or you can use the same link we'll put in the show notes and just um, be able to order it. She's going to share her story um, just having a really hard life, even times um, feeling suicidal and ending up in a psych ward, and how meeting the missionaries and being willing to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ And she's going to share some of her story as an African-American and how she navigated some of those topics, um, um, a little bit about the Book of Mormon and talking about, um, I think she'll talk about Lamanites being cursed with a dark skin and how she navigated that. Um, Anyway, she got baptized in October of 2022, so recording this podcast about a year after baptism. 2020. 2020. So you've been baptized for three years. Yes, just had the anniversary. Well, we got that wrong. We got the month right, but the length of time. And she joined the church with their boyfriend. They got married on the same day they got baptized. So that is now your husband. That was a a lot went on on October 10th, 2020. (laughs) So our hope is this book may be helpful for you, those that are considering joining our church, those that are in our church. And looking for hope as you're in a tough mental spot. The name of this book is called My Dot Matters, Rediscovering Faith and Realizing Self-Worth. And I'll read just a little bit. I don't want to, you know, talk too much because I want Mika to share a story. But I love the book. Do you ever feel you're like your life is insignificant and you're a small, great dot, small, great dot among billions of gifted and colorful dots? On the planet? Are you struggling to find meaning and purpose in your life? Does it seem like everyone around you is happy and thriving, or are you feeling lost and hopeless? I also experienced similar feelings for a long time. So I think that's a great introduction. I won't read the whole introduction, listeners, to the book, but the book that's not available on Amazon will link in the show notes. And I love your visual imagery of a dot, so maybe you'll talk about that. And I love the artwork of the book. Um, that's so well done. But Mika and I share started with a prayer, and we just hope Mika's story will be helpful for you, our listeners, to find hope and direction and peace in your life. So with is that okay for an introduction, Mika? That's great. You've done it. Okay, you are on to share your story. Okay, so obviously I'm from Ohio. Um, I was born in Cincinnati, raised between Cincinnati and Hyattsville, Maryland. Um, And, you know, we had, I guess, somewhat of a church background, only because my family, based on my grandparents, had a belief in Christ. But... um, my parents didn't really go to church or anything like that. It, was, it wasn't until later that my dad really started trying to go to church. And my mom, has, I can't remember the last time I've ever seen her in church. But um, 
So it was kind of rough in that way because there were a lot of things that I struggled with. Like one of the things that I struggled with was being born with a rare disease. And the disease caused a lot of problems like hemorrhaging and hematomas and like swelling and things like this. And I in multiple surgeries and in and out of the hospital. And it was painful. There were like so many things that that kind of bothered me about this illness that I really wanted to not have it anymore. And I started reading the Bible. So I started reading the Bible with the intent of um, trying to see if Jesus could do a miracle for me, right? Like he did in the Bible with all those people. He like healed the sick and raised the dead and like helped the woman with the issue of blood. And he was just like, I don't know, Superman in the Bible. And so I was like, yeah, maybe if I read it, I'll find something that will make make him do that for me too. Well, it never happened. Like (laughs) it never appeared. I never got a miracle or anything like that. And because of that, I struggled with suicidal ideation um, because I felt like I didn't matter to God. I felt Mm -hmm. like I, I kind of wavered between, I don't, I don't think God sees me or knows who I am. And I don't think he's there. So it was like I bounced back and forth between the two thoughts, you know, schools of thought. But um, I kept, I don't know, I just kept trying to seek him out in a way, like through the Bible and all. And um, after my last suicide attempt, which was in 2018, um, I found myself in the psych ward of the hospital. and. That was rough because I stayed in a psych ward that is like, um, it fits the stereotype. Let me say that. Like this stuff, the psych ward that I was in is like every psych ward you've ever seen on the movies, you know? (laughs) So not great. Although they do make great psych wards and great hospitalizations and things like that. The one that I picked was terrible. But um, so it was hard to recover while in that kind of environment. And um, so, yeah, you know, I went through that that whole period of time. And when I got out, um, the missionaries were at my house. Now, they had known from my family that I had been dealing with sicknesses and that I had been in and out of the hospital. And then they knew I had been in the psych ward. But other than that, my family was kind of using that as an excuse not to have a lesson. So it it would go like, hey, can we have a lesson with you? Oh, no, we're on our way to the psych ward. You know, she's in the psych ward. Or no, she's at the hospital. So we're so busy. We can't, you know what I mean? So like dodging. And so when I got out and I ran into them, I was just like, oh, man, I don't have nowhere to hide. Like, I really wanted to hide. Um, So I told them I would think about them coming to visit. And so they were like, "Okay, well, you think about it and let us know. And they gave me their card and all that stuff. And I totally lost all of that. (laughs) And then (laughs) and then um, I don't know, a few Months went by, then a few years went by, 
And then finally we were like, because it was like a two-year total period where we kind of dodged the missionaries. And finally, the missionaries came to our house one day and my son answered the door. And he's like, it's the missionaries. And I'm like, fine, let them in. They've they've earned it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> like they've been trying to get us for like the last two years. <laughs> so, so they've earned this, right? So when they come in the house, I'm like, I just start crying and like start telling them my whole life story and and explain to them why I had been dodging them for so long. And missionaries were like, oh, no, we're not the same missionaries that had been like trying to give you a lesson. We're we're different missionaries. And I was like, oh, OK. So they taught me a lesson. They taught me a lesson out of what is it? Preach my gospel. Yes. Yeah. They, they taught me the first lesson out of preach my gospel and then said, read they gave me a book of mormon and then they said we would like you to read um all of the introduction the the testimony of three witnesses all of that and then one chapter in first nephi so i was reading that and of course i was like the first thing i was thinking is this is not this can't be real because a lot of people in these witnesses are related, like their last names are the same. They could have gotten together and, I don't know, made a pact with each other and decided like, yeah, we're going to start a religion and we're going to base it off of this or whatever have you. So I was a little skeptical. So by the time I got to, it's weird because I wasn't skeptical about uh, Joseph Smith hearing from God and Jesus and the angel Moroni talking to him and all of that stuff. I wasn't skeptical about that because of the Bible. I believe that that could possibly happen. Like maybe, you know, but about how the religion started and everything, that's what I was skeptical about. And so, um, so yeah, after I read that, I went to first Nephi and the first chapter, I thought, well, this, this won't take long at all. I started reading the first chapter and the next thing you know, I had read so many chapters after that. I was only supposed to read one, but it was like, it was like I had been sucked in. It was like a movie when I was reading it. Like I could picture the things that were happening in the story. And it was, it was playing in my mind like a film, if that makes any sense. And so of course that made me keep reading until finally I fell asleep. Well, the next day I talked to missionaries and they were like, okay, well, we're going to come over and we're going to give you a lesson. And I was like, okay. And we'll, and they said, we will talk about everything that you've read and all of that. So we'll give you a lesson. And I said, okay. In the meantime, I, I kept reading. And then eventually I got to the part about the Lamanites being like, for lack of a better term, sneaky and cunning. And like, they just weren't good people. And they were cursed because their skin was dark and all the stuff. And I was like heartbroken. I was like, why, why would a church give out a book of scripture about black people that is not good to actual black people? 
You know what I mean? Like that's that is bold. That is bold. Um, <laughs> so I was like, this I don't want to do this anymore because they're talking about black people in a bad way and they're making us look bad, you know. And so immediately I texted the missionaries and I told them, like, you know, I'm sad because I found this in the book and you know, that lets me know like everybody's white in the church. And if everybody's white, then how will they react to my family? You know, because my family is um, interracial. And I was just like, this is it's not going to be a good fit, you know. Um, and the missionaries told me to like give them a chance to kind of like walk through the scriptures with me and explain because the scriptures also say that God loves black and white the same way. Um, and she said, the missionary told me that the term black in the scriptures means their countenance, not necessarily like their skin tone. It was their countenance, like whether they had the light of Christ on them or not. And so that's how she explained to me you know what that meant. Well, I'm not going to say that, that that helped me or anything like that. I'm just going to say I like tucked it in the back of my mind for later on, you know, to see if it were true. And um, so we went on about our lessons. Um, after, after, I don't know, how long was it? It, it was like a, a few weeks. After a few weeks, they invited us to a um, um, a Christmas event at the church that they were having in the gymnasium at the church, and um, we we decided we would meet them there, and they would take me, my husband, and my son in, and we could have food and all of that because that's kind of how they got us. They were like, "Yeah, we're gonna. There's gonna be a lot of food there, so you know, you might want to come over for our Christmas event." And I was like, "Food? Okay, we're in." So when we get there, we're waiting outside for them and everything, and you know, two people come out and like walk right past us, like we don't exist, and then another person comes out and walks past us and and like I'm like don't these people realize that we don't belong here like we don't look like everybody else we're not dressed like everybody else like nobody came up to us and said hey are you looking for someone are you you know nothing so at that point I was like let's go let's let's just leave because we must be at the wrong place and right then is when the missionaries saw us and they were like, oh, no, we were on the other side of the church. So they took us into the um, gymnasium with everybody. And I immediately had a panic attack because <laughs> there were so many people in there and they were all lined up by the food. And the, the entrance to the gymnasium opened up in the middle of the food line. So there were like people everywhere. And they're like trying to shake my hand and they're like <laughs> trying to know my name and they want to know all about me and how I met the missionaries. And it was a lot for me because I deal with like anxiety and have panic disorder. And so um, I just barely hung on for dear life <laughs> until the missionaries ran us to a table. So when we finally got to a table, we, we got to talk to this couple um, who 
were older, um, the the man used to be a bishop. And so I was like, I'm going to keep that in my mind because I might need to know a bishop. You know what I mean? And they made us feel so comfortable that even though we were like the only white people that I mean, the only black people there, it didn't feel like it. It felt like we were just, just people like everybody else. You know what I mean? Like I thought because based on what I had read in the scriptures that we would feel ostracized or I don't know, st- be stared at or something like I didn't know what to expect. But they treated us so nicely and everything that we decided to come back that following Sunday. So that's when we partook of like sacrament and stuff. But they had this before a sacrament, they have a guy come up and I still don't know the terms for all of this. Right. So I'm still I'm still kind of lost. Um, They had a guy come up and he made all these different announcements. Right. And he announced that they would be voting on somebody who got like a new position in the church or whatever, whether or not they could have it or not. So I looked over at the missionaries, me and my family were like, well, we're not registered to vote. So like, (laughs) how are we going to, how are we going to do this? So we looked over at the missionaries and we said, we're not registered to vote. So, so do we vote or don't we vote? And they're like, you don't need to be registered. Just raise your hand when everybody else raises their hand. And so that's what we did. And then we had sacrament for the first time. I had never had sacrament before. And it was like, heavenly we were so drawn into it like so locked in that the bread tasted otherworldly it was like so heavenly to us and the water was the best water we had ever had in our lives now we now know it came from the water fountain but it was the best water we had ever had and I was just like oh my gosh this is like so powerful it's such like an experience and everything like I started feeling like maybe we should visit more often after we um went to church the missionary said to us um you don't have to go to a classroom we have some guys that want to give you guys a blessing And we were like, well, what's a blessing? So they had to explain what a blessing was because we thought it was like being hexed. You know what I mean? And so they were like, no, nobody's going to hex you or anything. They just put their hands over your head and they pray for you. So we went, we got our blessing, and then we got ready to leave. Now, my then boyfriend used to smoke cigarettes. And... I mean, he smoked cigarettes since I've known him, actually. It's been years, right? And so when we left the church, he went to light up his cigarette. And when he went to light up his cigarette, um, it tasted disgusting to him, like straight away. And he didn't know, like, why, you know? And then, um, so he tried a few more times and it got nastier and nastier. And so then he just threw it out. And we went around the corner to eat breakfast as we did on Sundays because we didn't know you're not supposed to do that. And then he went after we were done eating, he went to try to smoke again. And the same thing happened, only worse. Like it tasted, he said it tasted like melted wax on his tongue. He said he's never tasted anything like that in his life. And so as he's doing that and he's freaking out, I'm like, 
why are you trying to tempt God? Like the words just came out of my mouth. I wasn't thinking of them or they just came out of my mouth like somebody else was using my mouth. And he said, what? And I said, well, why are you trying to tempt God? Like what, what if God doesn't want you to smoke, you know? And so that's, that's why the cigarettes taste bad. And he's like, no, somebody must've gotten a hold of this pack. We'll just have to check when we get home. So we get home and um, he's looking for, he's getting ready to smoke again. So he stands outside to smoke a cigarette. And it was worse, like the worst taste, the worst taste he has ever had. So finally he was like, okay, I'm gonna throw this pack out. He went to look for his other pack where it's like a little stash or whatever. It was gone. They were gone. He could not find them anywhere. And so from that day forward, he wow. had not smoked. So he's been a non-smoker for like three years now. Maybe a little bit more than that, because that happened before we were members of the church. And that was like our first bona fide miracle that either one of us have ever seen in our lives. And it came from getting a blessing that wasn't even talking about cigarettes. Like it was just a regular blessing. And that happened to us. It was like, I don't know. It was amazing. I hate to harp on it, but it was like a true miracle. I wish we could have called like the Vatican or something and been like, somebody needs to investigate this so that they know it's really a blessing, you know, like a really a miracle. But, um, but yeah, so that's what happened. And of course that led us to really start going to the church and like being taught, um, through come follow me and making friends and, all of that stuff, you know what I mean? And it was like an up and down road because this is something that was like a completely new experience to us, you know? Like we didn't have any any reference for the things that we were experiencing in the church or or the people that we were meeting, the the doctrine. We didn't have any like, we didn't have any reference at all. So it was all fresh and new. And of course we had a lot of questions and, you know, like I remember one of the lessons we did was talking about Laman and Lemuel and how, you know, when they got ready to leave um, Jerusalem and they were in the kind of in the wilderness with their family, with uh, Nephi and their dad and all that, how how they were kind of being difficult to deal with. And the one thing I thought and I brought this up in class was. Like they get a bad rap because they get the rap of being difficult and unbelievers and all of this, all this stuff. But look, in their day, the oldest sibling got was passed down everything their father had, everything. And then he had a decision of whether he wanted to take care of the family with it or pass them down or whatever. But there was like one blessing it was like one major blessing and then another smaller blessing. So that would have been them two. Okay. But instead, his dad got rid of everything. It would be like the equivalent of cashing out the 401k, you know, draining the savings accounts, you know, draining all the uh, investments and using them to travel the world with your family as opposed to leaving some behind for your kids. When your kids thought that's going to be ours, you just decided to use it all up. 
So I felt like that's why Lehman and Lemuel had such an attitude initially, <laughs> because they lost everything when their dad decided we're going to travel. You know, I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else, but it made sense to me as an outsider. You know, like I'd be so upset. So we ended up learning about a lot of the characters and things like that in the in the Book of Mormon. And I actually ended up reading the Book of Mormon all the way through in 30 days. Wow. But yeah, but um, but I when I got halfway through was when I stopped having suicidal ideation. It was like it was like a voice was in my brain. And it just said, you're no longer suicidal. And I was like, what? And it said it again, like, you're no longer suicidal. And I've not been suicidal since. And I've dealt with suicidal ideation since I was at least seven. I've, I have several attempts, obviously unsuccessful. And when I haven't attempted, I've wanted to. You know what I mean? And so for me, to read the Book of Mormon get halfway through and to hear that I'm no longer suicidal. It was like a bona fide miracle to me. It, I felt like a warm blanket had come down on me and was just like wrapping me up in love. And I haven't had suicidal ideation since. I deal with depression. I get depressed sometimes. Things, things get under my skin sometimes. But I never become suicidal when before I would be suicidal over the over what other people would call the smallest things, because there was always a straw that broke the camel's back with me. Like one thing was the straw that broke the camel's back because I was caring so much with my health and all of that stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. so when so when that happened to me, I was like, okay, this church this church has real power. Their blessings should not be given by novices because they actually, you know, they actually make stuff happen. And, and that was like the first time I've ever seen real miracles in real life. And you know what I mean? Like I knew it could be done through the scriptures, but I didn't know I would ever see. And through this process of, God doing little things here and there and Heavenly Father making it known that he cared and, you know, loved us and things like that. I realized that I do matter. He does. He does see me. You know, um, I'm I'm not just a dot amongst a whole bunch of other dots, you know, because at at first I thought there are so many other people I'm just this one little person and he can't see me. He's too busy or, you know what I mean? Or I don't matter. But as time progressed, I found out, well, I do matter. Like everyone matters to him. But I specifically as a person, I specifically matter to him. And it kind of changed my whole outlook and relationship with him um, as well. I'm enjoying your story. I love, you know, this, I love how the gospel is bringing you hope and healing and moved you out of suicidal ideation. And um, sounds like part of that is just your understanding of the character of God and your role and that he has time for you. And, and I love this warm blanket um, feeling you felt. I think you're really brave. 
um, to navigate some of the things that were kind of yellow flags to you, like um, some of the language in the Book of Mormon about um, African Americans or people with black skin and that first experience walking into church and just about walking out. And so I, I admire you kind of hanging in there and, and letting some of these choppy experiences pass so you can figure out, you know, if, if this is really the right place for you and the fruits of our church. Yeah. Talk about why you just, so this is a beautiful conversion story. And um, I, I moved and our listeners are moved, but talk about um, your decision to write a book. Okay. So my, okay. So my diagnosis in terms of mental health is anxiety, depression, PTSD, and bipolar one. Um, so I take a lot of medicine for my mental health to stay at, in line. Well, what happened was, I guess the the, the uh, pharmacy forgot to refill my bipolar medicine. And what happens when I don't have that medicine because I'm rapid cycling, I instantly go into mania. And with mania, you think you can do everything. <laughs> like the world is your oyster. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing can stop you. Nothing. And I hadn't slept for like three days and I wasn't tired. I was just wired as if I had just, I don't know, been shot up with coffee or something in the vein. But um, after that, I kept saying, I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. And I could not sleep. My brain was going like a million miles a minute. So I said, I got to, okay, if I'm going to be awake, I got to figure out how to how to do something with this energy. Otherwise, I'm going to end up doing something. You know, it's just going to keep going up higher and I'm going to end up doing something that's really hurtful to myself. You know what I mean? Or something like that. So while I was in that side of mania, I said, I'm just going to write a book. And <laughs> I pulled out the laptop and I began writing. Like, and I'm not a fast typer like I type like this <laughs> like with the two fingers so I start pecking out this story about like my conversion and like the church and you know what happened and all of that stuff and in like two weeks I maybe it was a week and a half two weeks I had cranked out 200 pages oh like, my goodness just, yeah just because I was manic and I and I needed to do something with that energy. It just all came out on the page. And then my medicine came in and I started going back down wow. and settling in back to normal. And I looked at this thing that I had and I was like, well, I got to do something with this. I need to split this into chapters. I need to because it was like one big term paper. <laughs> So I was like, I got to split this in the chapters. So I read it and I started splitting it into chapters and things. And then I said, I need to find a publisher. So I shopped around for publishers. I didn't like any of them. Um, and a lot of them would take a long time to give me an answer back. Like um, some of the publishers I went to said, well, you'll hear from us in three months. I'm like, I don't I don't want my book to take that long to to get out. I felt like the timing of it was important and that 
it needed to get out before the end of the year. I don't know. I just felt very mm, impressed about that. Um, and so I ended up finding this small publisher called Manifest It um, and spoke to the the woman who runs the publishing company. And they looked at, you know, the book and stuff and they were like, yeah, we'll do it. Uh-oh. So I was so excited. <laughs> the thing about Manifested is they this is like the first Christian book that they've ever done. Like they do like spiritual books and like meditation and, you know, all of that stuff. They don't do like theological Christian or, you know, religious books, you know? So this was more, this was like, a big deal, you know, the fact that they would even accept me. Um, and also, as we're going through the editing process and things like that, the the editor is asking me questions about the church because I'm writing things about the church inside of the book. And she's finding out because she's been dodging missionaries, too. So she's finding out, you know, what actually happens when the missionaries come and talk to you, you know, because she's been dodging them forever. And she's in France. The editor is in France. <laughs> and so, so she found out, like, she went through the whole book with me and she was just like, wow, you know, this is, this is good, you know? And just learning about everything. Every time I got the edit back, there would be a question about the church in it, you know? And it ended up being like a ministering tool to the people at my publishers. And so I'm going to have like a book party and my publisher is going to come and it's going to be like a ton of people from my ward and neighboring wards and things like that. And that'll be like her first experience in that kind of environment, you know, and it's all because of that book. So the book is like, I don't know, it's kind of become like a, a ministering tool or what do you call that? Yeah. Ministering tool or missionary tool, both missionary tool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's become that, you know what I mean? Because people are interested in the story. They read the story. Then they want to investigate for themselves, the church or whatever, you know? So it's, it's turning out to be pretty good and it's making an impact on at least the people within the company. Um, the, the um, finished manuscript went to uh, the Philippines where the designer is for for the book. And he's the one that designs like all the cover completely and, you know, the pages and the chapters and all of that. But he's got to read through it in order to do it. So, I, you know, I don't know what might happen like that might minister to him, too, you know, but it's made an impact on everybody within the company that I've, I've had to work with, you know? So that's kind of exciting and unexpected. And who knew that a manic episode would cause me to write a book. (laughs) Uh, This is a fascinating story, Mika. I mean, your life, you know, if you could have seen five years ago where your life would be in 2023, I'm sure you just, say I had no idea what God had in store for me. 
Um, yeah, no idea. I definitely married, did not expect this. You're married, you're baptized, you've been battling suicidal ideation and and psych ward experiences and and I wish sometimes I wish listeners our podcasts were were video because um you tell you're really happy and you're just bright and beaming and full of goodness and um so it's really an unusual story writing a book is a a really courageous thing to get that manuscript done but um i love that this publisher wanted to publish it and recognize something that would help readers and then um the role it has reaching people with your story and um I think people are drawn to stories, Mika, because you can talk about all the things that Christ does and all the healing in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. But then when you're able to talk about it first person and say, this isn't just theoretical, um, this is my story. And um, I've gone from a difficult place to a much better place. I think it helps others. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, I think listeners, it's clear that, you know, I'm thinking through the realities of your mental health. You still, it's not like the gospel of Jesus Christ cured you from mental health because you still have diagnosis and you still have prescriptions. Just like if you got baptized and you were, you know, had a shoulder with, I'm making stuff up, a physical, you know, disability tied in your shoulder. Usually getting baptized doesn't change that. I'm, open that right. it could, but um, I think sometimes we feel like Jesus Christ is going to heal us from all of our infirmities, and I don't want to say he won't, but it's interesting that there's been a great deal of healing that's gone here, but it hasn't like cured you of mental health. Um, yeah. Do you want to just talk about that? Because you've found healing here, but in the sense that you're in a much better spot, um, but you still have mental health issues, but they just seem more manageable. So talk about that. It's a fascinating part of your story for me. Sure. Um, the one thing that I can say out of all my diagnoses, uh, suicidal ideation was like like a plague that I was carrying around in my body forever. On top of all the other diagnoses, on top of the physical diagnoses, that one was the worst. And I know that's hard to believe when you have like physical illnesses and, you know, difficulty, you know, in your body and it's painful all the time. And and it's really hard to believe that anything can be worse than that. But to me, the, the lack of wanting to keep going, you know, the lack of love for living um to me felt like it was way worse than anything i could have experienced because i have so many people that love me and care about me and you know i love and care about so many people um and and i was willing to throw it all away you know just because just because there was this, there were, the way my mind was made, you know? And um, I couldn't fight it, no matter what. If I'm sick, I go through periods of time when I'm sick where I don't 
I don't have any problem with the sickness. Yes, you can still see it. Yes, it's still like, it looks like it's there, but I can still have a regular life. I can go hunt, hiking. I can swim. I can do all of these things. So like I have prolonged periods of time where my sickness doesn't bother me at all. There's a relief there. I have periods of time with my mental health where I don't have panic attacks. You know, the medicine makes it so that I don't go manic as much, things like that. It doesn't happen all the time. So you have some some reprieve, if that's a sense. But with suicidal ideation, there was absolutely no reprieve. It was like every single day since I was seven seven years old, this thing was riding my back like a book bag and I couldn't get it off, if that makes sense. And then here comes the Book of Mormon and just reading it. I didn't even pray before I read it. I just started reading it. And doing that with an open mind, suddenly the one thing that hurt the most was healed. I don't take medicine. You can't take medicine for suicidal ideation. There's no, there's no medication for that, right? Um, it, there's coping skills and things like that, but and they give you a little stuff here and there to try to make you feel a little more kind of like they treat you like you have depression. So they'll give you like depression meds and hopefully that'll bring you up out of your funk. But it didn't take any of that. You know, it didn't take any of that at all because the suicidal ideation was not responsive to medication whatsoever. This is how I know reading the Book of Mormon is powerful. This is how I know the words on the page are scripture. Because this is what it took to heal me. I didn't even ask. You know how at the end of the Book of Mormon when it says, you know, you're supposed to pray and ask if it's true and all of this stuff? I never asked. I never had to ask. Because anything that could take the worst thing plaguing me and just evaporate it completely I don't have to ask any more questions. (laughs) All questions are answered. You know what I mean? It's obviously true. It's obviously a good thing. It's obviously written by God. It's obvious. You know what I mean? It it obviously, Joseph Smith was obviously a prophet, you know? So, so yeah, just going through that, that whole change. And, and I hate to say that it's, I I'm reluctant about saying like it's a miracle because one people use the term miracle flippantly (laughs) and two, not a lot of people have seen like a real like new Testament miracle, right? One that doesn't have people falling out and like blowing on you and just doing all of this wild stuff they do on TV. Um, But one that was quiet it was peaceful. It was just me and Heavenly Father and the Word of God. And bam, he moved in that the Holy Spirit came in and that was it. That was it. And I, I really think that when God wants to touch us, when the Holy Spirit wants to be with us, it is soft and quiet. 
it's not loud and outrageous and, you know, all of that. It's very soft. It's very um, caring, loving, soothing. I, I think that to be true. Even when you go through the temple, it's like that. It's very soft and loving and caring. It's not boisterous and attention getting. You could miss it if you're if you aren't still and soft as well. You know what I mean? That's how it was when I got healed. It was I could have missed it if I wasn't soft and in a in a mindset where I was ready to believe to believe, period. I don't know. Did that answer your question? It did. <laughs> I just went on a tangent. Um it did. I love it's just you know, it's really interesting, the power of the Book of Mormon and how that can be individual for all of us. And I'm trying to sort of put your experience into my lived experience. And I wrote down a few things is, um, you know, I'm thinking of the Book of Mormon as another testimony of Christ. And I'm also thinking of the faith that you exercise to read the Book of Mormon. And that reminds me of the seed that grows and and the fruit of that seed are good things. And so, I, you know, if we could get God on the podcast, he'd probably say something like, you know, I healed Mika there because it was time for her to be healed and because she exercised faith and the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. And, and, yeah. and yeah, she wasn't healed from her mental health issues, but she was healed from suicidal ideation and she felt peace in her life and hope and and maybe you needed that witness at that point in those early stages of joining the church to to sustain you in your road to join the church and now be able to help others through your book and through your testimony of the church and navigate some of the more complicated things like the Book of Mormon and the Dark Curse. And, and yeah. not everybody has just perfect experiences. They consider joining the church. They may have a difficult experience with a another church member with some of our something in history or current things or wording in the Book of Mormon. But maybe, so I'm speculating now, which is, but I, but in that I recognize what a powerful, unique experience you had and how, and how you've used that experience to now bless others. And it gives hope. And I'm just moved by that. Um, Listeners, I, you know, I'm glad you brought up the dark skin of the Book of Mormon. So I'm 60 and I would have, when I read that as a youngster, I just thought that was literal that, you know, people had dark skin and that sort mm-hmm. of fit my version of God. And then I learned about things that are symbolic and things that are literal. And I've also sort of, as I've tried to understand the character of God, the God I believe in is capable of changing someone's skin color, but I don't, this is Richard Osler personal opinion. I don't believe people's skin color changed. Um, I just believe that was symbolic of, you know, not following God. And I don't know if I could even read anything differently in the Nephites versus the Lamanites. Maybe like the missionary said, their countenance changed, but maybe it's just symbolic. And, And so I'm sensitive to, you know, at least the way I was first taught and first believed that skin color was a sign of disfavor with God and how I, that, that thing that I just said that was painful for me even to say is 
not how I view God and hopefully how we don't view um, other people and look at their skin color and infer anything about how God feels about them. The God I believe in, and you talked about this, we're all alike unto God. And the Book of Mormon is clear on that. Both bond and free, black and white, male and female are all alike unto God. So that is our doctrine. And sometimes when we come across something, I think we need to pause and think, is that literal or or not? And does it fit with the teachings you're inviting us? So that helps us do better. Um, That's so true. So that's just my feeling on this and sort of my, uh, maybe some of my repentance for how I thought earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. Listeners, I'm just really moved with Mika's story. This is a powerful conversion story. And sometimes um, people that, this reminds me of my missionary experiences, people that have joined the church sometimes have really powerful experiences because the shades of pre-joining the church and post-joining the church are so stark that it's so obvious and their lives have changed in so many ways that sometimes some of us that have like me that have been raised in the church we don't have that as much and we don't have that real you know pivot in our moral life where we can really contrast pre-church and in the church and so I love hearing stories like Mika, and I'm glad that you're on the podcast. I assume you're sharing this in your ward and stake and beyond. And here you've written a book that's influencing editors in France and maybe artists in the Philippines. And yeah. so this is part of your life mission that's beautiful and unique. And, and you have the ability to bring hope to other people when you talk authentically about where you've been. So mm-hmm. anything else you'd like to share in a final closing segment for our listeners? Yeah, you know, when I look back, like on this whole situation, obviously I couldn't tell you everything in this amount of time that happened. Um, but that's what the book is for. Um, when I when I look back on it, I think, I think, wow, you know, just, just wow, how did I, how did I go, how did this happen? If that makes sense, how did this happen? Because everything that I read about that could happen in the Bible happened through the Book of Mormon. Like everything. And um, I want people to know that the Book of Mormon is true. Now, I know people say that all the time. They say, I know the Book of Mormon is true. Right. And they say, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet, but like, I want you to know it's true because look what happened to me by reading the Book of Mormon without even wanting anything. This is how I know that is true because something changed in me without asking for it to change at all. I would have never picked that. I would have never picked suicidal ideation to change in me. I would have picked my physical illness to change. But if I had, if he had done that, I would have still wanted to end my life. Even though the physical illness was gone. If I had picked any other thing, I would have still wanted to end it all. No matter how much I had, no matter how quote unquote happy I was supposed to be or anything else. But he chose what should be fixed. And he fixed it. 
And so I can enjoy everything because I don't have that thing. And that's, that's how I know that the Book of Mormon is a very powerful book and that God uses it to like minister to us and to help us and that reading it is helpful. Even if you just read one scripture, you know, don't look at it like I have to read this many scriptures a week or something like that, or I have to read this many chapters a week. Look at it more like I've got a lunch date with God and I want to be there. And then when you open up your scriptures, that's you and Heavenly Father communing with one another on your lunch date. And everybody likes to go on a lunch date with their friends, right? That's kind of how I look at it when I read. That's that's all I wanted to say. Wow. I love that. Um, listeners, as you probably know, in 2024, we're focused on the Book of Mormon. I love that this podcast kind of cues that up, and I will look forward to studying the Book of Mormon. And I love the things, the insights you've shared, like a lunch date with God and just read what you can. As you may know, the they made this announcement in our ward, but I think it's been out for a while, is we're using a single study manual. So the adults, youth, and children, instead of having different manuals like we've had in the past, we're having one oh, manual. So that's kind of cool for those of you that have different ages studying Come Follow Me. Um, yeah. And that's available online. And you can also get physical copies from um, the church's website, or perhaps your local unit provides you physical copies if you want physical copy. That's kind of the way I love to study. But um, listeners in the show notes will meet, will link to Mika Reed's social media profiles. We'll also link to her book at Amazon, My Dot Matters, Rediscovering Faith by Realizing Self-Worth. And I love how the Mm -hmm. gospel has done that for you. And um, you're really brave. And I just hope more and more people are able to meet you, um, read your book, hear podcasts from you. I hope you you. have the chance to speak far and wide in our faith community. Um, Because you bring hope and healing. And it's an honor to have you on the podcast, Mika. Thank you. I appreciate that. And this is Mika Reed and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.